Okay. So today's reading is from Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible. Uh, We're reading two chapters today, so make yourselves comfortable. We're reading from chapter 6 and chapter 7. So the um, passages are uh, on the screen, also in your leaflet um, or on your app if you've got one. So chapter 6. I watched as the Lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a loud voice like thunder, Come! I looked, and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow, and he was given a crown, and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come! Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures, saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages, and six pounds of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony that they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake, The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can withstand it? After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or in any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we have put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the tribe of Asher, 
12,000. From the tribe of Naphtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. From the tribe of Issachar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, 12,000. From the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory, and wisdom and thanks and honour, and power and strength be to our God for ever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they, and where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let's, let's pray. Our loving Father, we're reminded from uh, the Lord Jesus that we cannot live on bread alone, but on every single word that proceeds from your mouth, and that includes the book of Revelation. And so please feed us. We need feeding. We need this word. We need you to speak into our hearts and lives. We need to be able to understand what's being said and to take it to heart and to let it form the whole way in which we think. We need you. So please help us to understand, help me to be clear and help us to think your thoughts and hold them dear in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you're new to the Bible and Christianity, and maybe you visited us over Easter and you've come back, thank you, that's kind, uh, you might be after a reading like that, wondering what sort of wacky place have you come to uh, that would read um, you know, a passage like that from the book of Revelation. This style of writing is different to the other gospels, isn't it? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We, we touched on those last week. They're, that style we recognize, that's historical narrative. But the Bible, of course, is a library of books and it has other styles as well. There's poetry. There's songs, there's proverbs, and there's apocalyptic literature, like we see here. Now, this is not common, so what is this style? Well, it is a type of literature, and it describes reality not as historical narrative, but in a kind of dreamlike sequence of snapshots. Now, if we went to a photography exhibition, it would be a pretty boring exhibition 
if the photos that we looked at were exactly as we see reality. Most likely, and far more interesting, uh, if you went to a photography exhibition, the photographer would have deliberately blurred the images or they, were, they would have put a different lens over them because the photographer wants you to see reality through a slightly different way, a different lens, and then to appreciate reality slightly differently. Well, it's the same here. Revelation just isn't historical narrative. This is a vision. It's a vision given to John and through the Holy Spirit to us through his words. It's a vision, and it's got blurred loud images in neon technicolor that still describe reality, what is real, but through a different lens to what we would normally see through. So when we read of four horsemen, we're not literally to expect four horsemen thundering down Mount Barker Road through Aldgate. But they do stand for real things, real powers at work in our world. And that, when you think about it, makes Revelation a brilliant book to dive into straight after Easter. Remember, Easter last week reminded us of God's deep love for us and his plan to save us through Jesus' death and then enthroning him as Lord through his resurrection and his ascension into heaven at his Father's side 40 days later. Now, it's possible to hear that, to grab onto those truths and then to wonder, well, if Jesus is Lord of all, if God has worked to save us, if Jesus has triumphed over Satan, why is the world still in the mess that it's in? Why are there still powerful tyrants in power? Why don't we see Jesus more in charge? Because surely if Jesus is on the throne, things should get better, shouldn't they? All right? Well, praise God for the book of Revelation. Revelation describes the mess the world is in at the same time as describing Jesus being on the throne. And it says how those interface. What is God going to do about this? Now, we left the series back in December in chapter five with this glorious view of heaven as it is now. And we left with this picture of Jesus, the Lamb of God. He is on the throne in heaven. And in his hand, he is holding a scroll. And that scroll is sealed with seven seals. This is the scroll for God's plan in human history. And praise is given because he and only he is the one who is worthy to open up the seals and to unveil God's plan and to eventually usher in the kingdom of God. Well, today we see what happens when Jesus the Lamb opens the seals on the scroll one by one and describes what must now take place given that he is, having died for our sins, is now on the throne. Chapters six and seven have three points with three questions, one question for each point, they're there on your outline. So let's get into it. The first point is about the tyranny of rulers, which we see as the lamb opens the first four seals, revealing four horses, four horsemen, and four horrors. Verse one. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals and then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. 
Human history has been characterized by conquerors bent on conquest. This tells us history is not a steady trajectory towards peace and harmony. Instead, the norm of human experience has been conflict and fighting. Recently, I learned that in the history of the United States, just to take a country, for example, in their whole history, they've only had 17 years where they have not been involved in armed conflict. Amazing. All right, next, verse three. When the lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, come. And then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Well, if the first horseman represents conquest and war, this horseman represents civil unrest. Peace is stolen away so that instead people can turn on one another. What was top line in the um, news headlines this morning? There's been another um, coup in Sudan and there is bloodshed as rival factions, armed militias vie for power. This is the second horseman, civil unrest. Next, verse five. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. And then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures say, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and the wine. And we go, oh yeah. So this horseman's a little, little bit more puzzling because we are unfamiliar with the volumes and the prices. Apparently, I'm told, two pounds of wheat was the amount of grain an adult male needed each day to eat. The price for that was a whole day's wages, which in first century terms is about 16 times what was normal. This horseman stands for scarcity. You could get by with enough to eat just but only if you worked and there was no money left over for anything else. Scarcity. Well, this is a daily issue for millions of people around the world. Um, you may not know, the whole region of East Africa, an enormous population, is now entering its fifth year of drought. Scarcity. This is far worse than the scarcity we Australians complain of, although it's a reality an increasing reality for many. All right, next one, verse seven. When the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come. I looked and there before me was a pale horse and its rider was named Death and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague and by wild beasts of the earth. This is the fourth real ruler that tyrannizes human life. Death, and following death, hell. Oftentimes the four horsemen from the first four seals are described as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. As if their coming refers to some future secret time. But I think that misses the point that these four rulers war infighting, scarcity, and death tyrannize human life right now. What's depicted, in other words, is not an abnormal apocalyptic event, but a 
description of normal human life, which happens in every country, in every day. And Christians are not immune. Christians around the world are caught up in the horror of the first four horsemen. What difference does being a Christian make? Because didn't Easter happen? Isn't Jesus on the throne? Hasn't he died to save those who trust in him? Well, next we see a picture of what it's like for Christian souls to look on and contemplate this as the fifth seal is broken. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar in heaven the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. And they called out in a loud voice, how long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Now that is the first question. How long? It's asked by the souls of the Christian martyrs who have suffered the worst from this world's tyrants. And we see their question. How long will a God who is in charge, sovereign Lord, how long will will he, with Jesus on the throne, permit this to continue? Well, notice what's assumed with the question that God, the sovereign Lord, he is the one who really is in charge over this world and he describes the time scale of the horrors that go on. Now, in fact, that's the premise of the first four horses of the first four seals. Because if you look closely, you realize it's Jesus, the lamb, who breaks the seals. It's each of the four living creatures around the throne who bid each horse and its rider to come. And notice that the riders are given authority to do what they do, whether they're given a crown or given power to take peace or power to kill. The crown, the power, they don't belong naturally to these writers, they are given these things. In other words, the struggles that the world experiences are nonetheless in the hand of the one who sits on the throne. The Lord who cursed the creation in Genesis chapter three, and we're still living with the curse. And the Lord who sovereignly rules over all the wars, the famines, and even death as a consequence of our rebellion against him. Now, this is hard, isn't it? We're dealing with a sovereign Lord. What does that mean? It's not to say that God approves of or even delights in all that happens in this world. We've just gone through John's gospel. We saw how Jesus was grieved at the tomb of Lazarus when he encountered death. And we know that God is horrified by injustice and human evil. And yet, Revelation urges us to see that he's nevertheless the one in charge. And that's why before chapter six, we saw into the throne room of heaven and who was seated on that throne. There is someone on the throne. It's not vacant. It's not like the world is spinning out of control. There is someone on the throne. There is not no one there. And comfort for us, that's why we can pray to him. If God were not on the throne, God might have all the goodwill in the world, but if he's not sovereign and powerful, our prayers wouldn't make a difference. He wouldn't be able to answer anything. It's only because God's on the throne that we can pray to him. But that does raise the other question. If God is all powerful, why doesn't he end human suffering and evil? And hence the question, how long? How long? 
Well, thankfully, there is an answer, and it is of some comfort. Verse 11. Then each of them was given a white robe, and they were told to wait a little longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers and sisters, were killed just as they had been. That sounds macabre, doesn't it? But what it's saying is God has set a limit on how many people he is willing to let suffer and die in his name. It is fixed. It won't go on forever. It's not limitless. And each day as people around the world lose their lives remaining true to Christ, that fixed number edges closer until one day it's going to be reached and God on the throne will declare that's enough and he will wind up human history at that point. Now, if you are a Christian in Afghanistan or in Yemen or North Korea or Myanmar or any of the other places where you live in daily fear of soldiers coming to your house and taking you or taking your sons for their armies or taking your daughters and forcibly marrying them and converting elsewhere, it is comforting to know that God sovereignly has decreed that there is a limit. There will be an end day to all of that. And it's also a comfort for them to know that their suffering is not forgotten, that God is not indifferent to the evil in this world. Their cry is represented in heaven. There will be a day of justice and judgment. And that brings us, friends, to the sixth seal and our second point. Point number two, the terror of judgment. Verse 12. I watched as he opened the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. This is a vivid picture of creation being judged. Now, we in Australia, we've lived partly with this, haven't we? Floods, drought, horrendous fires. And we know what it means for a sky to turn black in the middle of the day and the sun to turn blood red because that's what happens when the world is burning. We also know what it is for a fruit tree to be decimated in a strong windstorm. Now I want you to imagine the night sky with all its stars as a fruit tree and it is shaken now by a storm. Verse 14, the heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. And then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hidden caves and among the rocks of the mountains. And they called to the rocks and the mountains, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. For, great, for the great day of their wrath has come and who can withstand it? And there's the second question, isn't it? Who can stand? Who can stand? God's judgment will be terrifying when it comes. Much of the language uh, of this vision comes from the Old Testament and it's language which Jesus himself used. There will be a day when God's enemies will will consciously prefer to be obliterated by falling rocks and mountains and wiped out from existence. That would be a preferable option for them than to continue to live but face their worst fear. 
Because what will be the most terrifying thing about Judgment Day? Will it be seeing the stars, which we think are fixed, falling like comets? That'd be terrifying. We read of chapter six and we think it will be the four horsemen of the apocalypse, like the terrifying ring wraiths of the Lord of the Rings, right? Although we've seen that the four horsemen are alive and present now. Now the most terrifying things for God's enemies on the day will be the lamb himself. Now that thought is bizarre, a terrifying lamb. But Jesus is described as a lamb because he was sacrificed like a lamb. But now this lamb is seated in power and he's angry. He's angry because his love has been spurned. You know, it's one thing for God as a judge to be angry, but here is God as saviour who is angry. Now, why is he angry? He's angry because there's no need for anyone to have to face his wrath on that day because he was the lamb slain for the sins of the world. He died on Good Friday to bring forgiveness of sins to anyone who turns to him. But when that love and that extended period of patience, which we're now in, when that love and offer of forgiveness is spurned, his wrath is terrible. I think in human relationships we understand this. Just imagine for a moment you had been badly wronged. But imagine you muster up you know, the desire and the heart to forgive. And you communicate that you're willing to forgive. But then imagine that that offer is thrown back in your face. And imagine the person who did you wrong saying, no, I don't want your forgiveness and I don't need it. Now that, it's very hard not to be really angry at that point, and rightly so. Well, that would be the response of the Lord Jesus to everyone who spurns his offer of forgiveness. On that day, status will be no safeguard. Kings and slaves will hide together Power and money will be no safeguard. The rich and the mighty will be hiding along with everyone else. And borrowing language from Hosea 10, they will call for the rocks to fall on them because they will not be able to look Jesus in the face on judgment day. It is very sobering for us all to realize we will have to face death. That's the fourth horseman's name, right? Well, it's more sobering to realize that many of us will die and then face hell. What hope is there? Point one, the tyranny of rulers. Point two, the terror of judgment. But point three, the safety of salvation. Chapter six, it was the, six, oh, the seven seals, wasn't it? Well, now we've got the sealed. And this speaks to the safety of salvation. Verse one, after this I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. And then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and the sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until... We put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of our God. And then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. Now I have to say the chronological sequence is difficult. 
Because if judgment day comes at the end of chapter six with the fifth seal, how come at chapter seven with the sixth seal, we're going around sealing people before judgment happens, right? So the chronological mismatch has led many people, good-hearted Christian people, right, thinking people, to construct theologies of sequences of end-time events. And so instead of a judgment and a sealing, we have tribulations and rapture and then a pause and then a thousand-year reign and then a return. We will look in more detail at these as they come up. But I want to say the simplest way to read this is to appreciate that John is having a vision, a dreamlike vision of different snapshots. And this picture comes to John in his vision after that of chapter six, because he says after this, and then he describes this. But that doesn't mean to say that what's here necessarily translates as happening chronologically in human history after his previous snapshot. You know, dreams do this, don't they? They flip backwards and forwards. In other words, what's described is the order of things that John saw, but not necessarily the order of things in which they will happen. What's described is this series of snapshots, but chapter seven, I think, begins with a bit of a flashback. So that the day of judgment is coming, chapter six, but before that, a pause, as that day is put on hold, don't damage anything yet, and as seals are put on the foreheads of the 144,000. Now, again, this is picture language, but it's language we recognize from the Old Testament. Because can you, you think of another time when you remember in the Old Testament when God's people were marked out with safety on the day of judgment with a sign or a seal? Can you remember? The Exodus, right? <laughs> okay, when on that... God was rescuing them out of Egypt, out of slavery, and there was a series of plagues, and the last plague, the 10th plague, came upon the whole land of Egypt, including where Israel was, the Israelites, and God then said, you've got to have a meal of a, of a, a roasted lamb, but you've got to put the blood of that lamb on the door frames as a marker, so that when the angel of death passes over Egypt that night, they will see that, and you will be safe on the day of judgment on the land of Egypt. Okay. Well, similar language is used in Ezekiel of a sign or a, um, that will help God's people, that will enable God's people to remain safe on that day of judgment. Um, and it's picked up here in, in a slightly different image. It doesn't mean that there's going to be a literal barcode stamp or tattoo on Christians' foreheads, right? I don't think it's a literal mark any more than the mark of the beast, which we'll come to later on, is a literal mark. But it's a way of saying, in picture language, God knows those who belong to him. And he has marked them out, even before judgment comes, so that they will, they will come to no harm on that day. They will be safe. So, human history is a scary, tumultuous business. God's Judgment is a terrifying prospect. But those who trust in Jesus are safe. They're marked out. Don't let the winds blow on them until we've sealed them. The 144,000, I think, is a figurative number. We're not supposed to worry that the number of Christians in the world has exceeded 144,000, and so therefore we're, we're left out. The, the Jehovah's Witnesses um, take this as a literal 
literal number and it's been already met, so bad luck for them, they don't go to the best heaven or whatever. Um, 12 refers to the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 times 12 refers to Israel and the Gentiles. 12 times 12 times 1,000 means all of God's people, Jews and Gentiles, the full number which God has already calculated, and it's a lot. Now, chapter 7 has two snapshots of God's people. First, the 144,000, which by referring to a specific number means God has numbered us. We are safe with him. He knows the number of people that are his, marked out for salvation, safe and secure. And then that first snapshot's followed by a second. When you look again at who is comprised within the complete number of God's people, the 144,000, who do you see? A great multitude that no one can count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. Who is the 144,000? It is a number no one can count. It is that vast. And they are wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hand. This is like flags of victory. Go Jesus team. All right? And they cry out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. They are people of praise. And lastly comes the final question in verse 13. One of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they and where did they come from? Who are they? They are the ones who are safe. Because he said, these are the one, they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Now, that's a bizarre image, isn't it? People whose clothes have been washed clean by washing them in blood. But it tells us that the only way to be safe on the final day is to be washed in the sacrifice of Christ. So, Please see, the same lamb who was angry when his forgiveness and love was spurned, that same lamb is able to save and forgive and wash completely those who accept him and trust in him. He washes them by his blood shed on the cross. Now you and I, we can wash ourselves on the outside, can't we? You probably had a shower before you came. Don't admit if you didn't. All right. What if there could be a way of washing yourself on the inside? There is. Through the crucifixion of Jesus, the sinless one in our place. Those who accept his death, these are the ones who are safe. Verse 15, therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence and never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. And the sun will not beat on them, nor any scorching heat, because the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will bring them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It's pretty simple, really, this message. It's actually not said anything that you can't find elsewhere in the Bible. Life now is very tough. We are heading for the day of judgment. But salvation is possible through Jesus. It's a simple Christian message. So why do we need this vision? 
if you can read it elsewhere in the Bible. Because visions we remember describes in picture language what's true. And this vision helps set our expectations about what life will be like now after Easter when Jesus has ascended and is on the throne. Guess what, we're not in heaven yet. And it presses us with the question for each of us, will I be able to stand on the day of judgment? Have I fled to Jesus so that I won't flee from him on the last day? Have I looked to him now so that I can look at him on the last day? Is that true for you? It's the only way to be safe. You have to come to Jesus Christ. And this, these chapters are written to comfort Christians who are struggling to remind those Christians in Afghanistan or Myanmar or Iran or North Korea or your family if it's hard for you. That God is on the throne, suffering is limited. God cares and he will bring people to justice but you are safe if you trust in Jesus. Father in heaven, We cannot live on bread alone, we need this word. Thank you for describing reality so clearly. Thank you for setting our expectations right. Thank you for pointing us to Jesus to whom we must flee and if we have, there is complete safety. Thank you that the day of judgment is coming and you will right all wrongs. But thank you that Christ, because of Christ, a way is open for that not to be a terrifying day. Thank you. Amen.